Welcome back to Cargumentative, your favorite Times Live podcast on which we dissect all things automotive. I'm your host, Thomas Faulkner from the Sunday Times, and as usual, I'm sitting in the virtual studio with Dennis Dropper from BD Motor News and young Brenwin Naidu from the Sowetan. Gentlemen, how are you doing? Greetings, fellow petrol heads. Uh, good to be back on board. How are you guys doing? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. It's uh, still a bit chilly, but uh, uh, other than that full with the joys of spring much like brenwin i think as well indeed indeed full with the joys of spring i woke up this morning opened my window uh, several birds came and put my my morning gown upon it was quite special none of that <laughs> happened of course it's just like it's freezing out there and it's, it's quite miserable but hopefully things will improve uh, we're talking cars and i'm excited to be with you guys exactly well that's always good to have you guys Back in the virtual studio, uh, it's that time of the show where we dip into the news. So, um, Brenwin, let's stay with you. What can you tell us? Well, Mercedes AMG has officially launched its A45S model in South Africa, uh, with prices starting upwards of 1.1 million rand. It still packs the most powerful production two-liter engine in the world, with an output of 310 kilowatts and 500 meters. The sprint time has been trimmed out to 3.9 seconds uh, versus 4.2 in the former car. And other highlights include, rather excitingly, a drift mode, which is enabled by a trick differential at the rear axle, employing a pair of electronically controlled clutches. So what is it like? Well, it's a mixed bag, to be honest. Uh, I drove the car at Swartkopf's Raceway last Friday, and uh, my impressions will be on Times Live motoring section a bit later this week. Excellent. Well, I look forward to reading those. And moving on to Dennis. Dennis normally has lots of interesting stuff to tell us, so yeah, far away. I thought I'd bring up something quite novel this week. Um, mm. Until now, a car's wheel alignment could only be adjusted manually by a mechanic in a workshop. Uh, and a single wheel alignment setting covers all possible uses and conditions, so it's a compromise between handling, fuel consumption, and tire wear. But now there's an Australian company called Doftech. It's developed what it says is the world's first active wheel alignment system. So this enables the alignment of each wheel to be optimized in real time. So it electronically adjusts the camber, toe, and caster settings of each wheel to suit the road and driving conditions. And they say it, it improves the vehicle's handling by at least 15% while reducing rolling resistance by about 10% and also tire wear by 10%. So it's a really interesting sounding system. And I think it's, it might be of big interest to uh, racing drivers such as yourself, Thomas, if you could press a button on the dashboard in your racing Mustang and change the camber to suit the conditions. It would indeed. It would indeed. I mean, you could have a couple of presets. You could have, you know, sort of SWAT Corps mode, car alarm mode, qualifying mode, party mode, all these, you know, different pre-programmed maps. That sounds epic. But uh, is this technology compatible with all cars or is it only available on certain models? How does it all work, Dennis? They say that it is compatible with, with any vehicle. Uh, any car or truck, uh, because the benefit it has for trucks is that it can greatly reduce their turning circle, for instance. And the device adds about one kilo of weight per wheel, and it fits onto existing vehicles. And it's, uh, like I say, compatible with all suspension systems. For now, it's just in prototype stage, but they are developing it and testing it with uh, a few motor companies. So possibly in the near future, we'll see this being offered for sale, and you can fit it to your own car. And is there any uh, idea of how much it might cost? Have they have they kind of given a ballpark figure? At the moment, not, Thomas. Like I Nothing. said, it's a prototype okay. stage. 
And I suppose it will depend also on the economies of scale, how many they produce. Of course, yeah. Well, it makes sense. And, you know, I think it's a nice thing to have on your everyday car as well, just because who wants to go into a, a Tiger Wheel and Tire or Minties or whatever it is to go and have your tires aligned? It's a schlep. What else has been going on? Have you driven anything interesting? Any notable launches? Uh, well, the one that's being launched this week is the uh, updated Nissan Patrol which as 4x4 enthusiasts will know is a great big behemoth of an off-road vehicle. So now the 2020 Patrol is, uh, has been given a facelift. Not that it's necessarily any prettier than before because a vehicle this big and brawny was never made to be really pretty. But in any case, it's been given all the latest upgrades and LED headlamps. Inside it has quilted leather seats and it has an updated infotainment system. It also has uh, driver assistant aids like intelligent emergency braking. So uh, it detects uh, pedestrians walking into the road, things like that. It has intelligent cruise control. And it's all yours for the uh, for the price of 1.5 million rand. And uh, as before, it's a 5.6 liter V8 petrol engine with lots of muscle, 298 kilowatts and 560 newton meters. So if you want to go crossing continents, then th this could very well be your baby. A lot of muscle indeed. Well, uh, I mean, I suppose a lot of people will be sad to know that diesel engine isn't offered. And that's probably why a lot of 4x4 enthusiasts have crossed over into the, the Toyota camp. Because obviously you can get uh, the patrol's main rival, the Land Cruiser, with uh, diesel power. Uh, which in this day and age, I think, you know, kind of makes a little bit more buying sense because of the ever-rising cost of fuel. Brenwin, your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, the missile patrol is, is really like the polo vivo of the UAE, isn't it? It's everywhere out there. <laughs> <laughs> but that's because, you know, they, they, petrol, uh, they pay less for petrol than they do for water by the diesel. So I agree with you. Um, it would be nice to have a diesel derivative in that car. Although, that said, um, I've always been a fan of the patrol. Uh, usually capable and luxurious uh, and certainly an empowering car to drive because of its sheer mass and and I think ugliness as well, you know, that ugliness, just people see it in the rearview mirror, they move out of the way, you know. Exactly. Um, coyote ugly, I think they call it um, in the classics. But sticking with imposing vehicles, I mean, it's, it's not as big as a Nissan Patrol, but uh, today, uh, that's uh, Tuesday, Audi unveiled its, uh, its new Q3 Sportback in South Africa. I don't know what you guys think of that, but... Uh, it's quite a handsome car, you know, it kind of, it's like a smaller version of an Audi Q8. Dennis, what do you think about it? Yeah, I haven't seen it in the metal, but from the pictures, I certainly do appreciate it looks. Uh, whenever Audi does something that says Sportback, generally the result is uh, quite handsome and quite head-turning. So I'm looking forward to driving it. Yeah, same. Um, you know, these kind of coupe-inspired four-door SUV crossover cars are big business at the moment, and I think this one should do well. Uh, pricing starts at 693, uh, that's uh, 693,000 Rand for the, the Sportback 35 TFSI Astronic. So uh, you can read more about it up on Times Live Motoring. We did a little uh, five things you should know. Also, the new Rolls-Royce Ghost is out, guys. That's a brand new model. Uh, it's built on a, a brand new in-house developed 
platform, which is which is quite nice because the old Ghost rode on a seven series, a BMW seven series platform. So nice to see Rolls Royce taking things in house again. But yeah, I think that's pretty much it. I don't know if uh, if anybody else has anything they want to yeah. check in. No, that that Ghost is actually being launched uh, online as as we speak, as we're recording this podcast. So. I'm interested to see exactly what that ghost has to offer because uh, a Rolls-Royce doesn't come along every day. No, no. It's not like a Golf, which is, you know, a new one comes out every other month almost. So it's, yeah, it looks it looks like a fairly comprehensive overhaul. I'm just going through the press release now. It's uh, long and um, there's a lot of stuff to, uh, to digest. But, uh, yeah, guys, we could talk all day about car news. Unfortunately, we can't. Uh, we've got a special guest who's joining us in the next segment. So we're going to take a quick break. And uh, yeah, then we'll be joined by Paige Lindenberg from Shelby SA. Join me, Nicole Engelbrecht, your host on True Crime South Africa, a weekly podcast that covers both solved and unsolved South African true crime cases. Welcome back to Cargumentative. In this segment of the show, we're joined here in the virtual studio by the head of national marketing, merchandise, and promotions at Shelby South Africa, Paige Lindenberg. Paige, thanks for taking the time out to join us, and welcome to the show. Thanks, Tom. Thanks for having me. It's only a pleasure. Again, uh, we really appreciate you taking the time out to, uh, to chat to us. Now, before we go much further, I just wanted to know if you could tell our listeners a little bit more about who you are and what your role is at Shelby South Africa. So, um, yeah, as you said, I'm Paige Lindenberg, and we, as a family, um, with my father, Peter, and my sister, Kiara and Abby, uh, at Shelby in South Africa in 2016. Um, so my background was marketing and events. I have an events company, and I studied marketing. So I kind of just took that role on. Um, and then merchandise, obviously, is just a, another added extra onto it. So we all kind of help each other and do a bit of everything. I'm sure you've seen. But, um, yeah, I, I do love events and marketing. It really drives me and I really enjoy what I do. So, yeah, that's that's my story. Okay. And um, why Shelby? What, what got you guys? I mean, it's obviously a family-run business. But, uh, you know, how come it's Shelby and not um, a chocolate company or something like that? <laughs> um, yeah, so, I mean, we, my dad is a racing driver and petrol head at heart. Um, so we were kind of born into a adrenaline-crazy engine, you know, type of a family. Um, he was racing from way before we were even born. Um, and he's had a really interesting and really cool career in power boating, water skiing and cars. Um, so we haven't grown up like the average girls, I guess. We've grown up in a very male-dominated um, space. But 
you know, we've grown up understanding cars and engines and boats and really exciting, you know, way of life. And my dad was running a dealership in Cape Town and um, Ford announced that they would be bringing right-hand drive Mustangs to South Africa. And my dad, for some reason, has always been a Ford man. If you look back at his racing career, majority of the cars he's raced and been successful in have been Fords. Um, so he's quite biased to Fords and he's always loved Shelby and Carol Shelby. And so my dad and Jimmy Price go way back. They've been best mates probably for over 30 years now. Um, and when Ford announced that right-hand drive Mustangs would be coming to South Africa, um, my dad sat us all down at dinner the one night as a family. And he said, guys, I've got an idea. Let's get Shelby in South Africa. Um, and that's kind of where it all started. And he spoke to Jimmy because Jimmy obviously builds the heritage cars globally for, for Shelby and has that relationship. Um, and that's where it all kind of started. So initially it started from my dad's idea. Um, but Dirk Finch has always been a partner of ours. And we've now got two other partners in the group, um, Afri Colon and Mark Walter. Um, and we now house Road to Race within the same group as Shelby. So we've built a little automotive group of businesses and we obviously have the race team. Yeah, we all work hand in hand together. And I ended up leaving. I have an events company. So I ended up kind of joining my dad because he said, you know, either carry on doing what you're doing or you girls are welcome to start Shelby with me. And I was like, there's no way I'm losing out on the opportunity to be involved with starting Shelby in South Africa. And my younger sister was finishing the trick. So she joined us in opening Shelby. And then my older sister joined us, Kiara, about a year later because she was uh, busy working property. So, yeah, we all kind of had our own paths and we're doing our own thing. But none of us could really skip the opportunity of getting involved in the brand and starting it in South Africa. And that's where it all began. Okay, fantastic. Well, I mean, it's quite a... An interesting backstory. And uh, I mean, how did this whole thing go from idea um, at dinner one night to reality? I mean, did you guys have to do some cold calling uh, or was your dad connected? I mean, how did it all unfold? Yeah. So, I mean, my dad and Jimmy, their relationship obviously helped a lot. And Jimmy has the relationship with Shelby in America because of the heritage cars that he builds for them globally. He had a bit of an in for us. So he made the connection and my dad started having the discussions. And before we knew it, we had kind of gotten an agreement. And that was it. We were one of the first mod shops to open outside of the States. And my dad... At the time, I don't know if you remember, but he had had a hip replacement that had gone wrong. So he had been in hospital, in and out of hospital quite a bit. So he decided to ship the three daughters over to the state for a few weeks to go and train with Shelby. So all the three of us went and we got training from Shelby in America in Las Vegas and had to learn the ropes of the business, how they do things, how they upgrade, you know, literally everything from start to finish. And that's what we did. And we came back and together with my dad, we got the business off the ground, started building the brand launched the brand um in cape town and then in city joburg it was a lot of blood sweat and tears i wouldn't say cold calling as such but from my side there was a lot of pressure on getting the brand out there in a way we're lucky because shelby has an amazing following and it's got a really good brand worldwide and i think that's thanks to playstation games and movies and you know all those wonderful things that you see shelby's in but it was still a matter of us getting the word out and it still is today getting the word out that shelby is in south africa because um there's so many different target markets when you look at a brand like shelby you know you've got the enthusiast who just wants the merchandise and who just 
loves the brand. You've got the person who could afford the car or, you know, has a sports car and is umming and ahhing between a sports car and a muscle car because muscle cars in South Africa are also very new. So they haven't been around, you know, match for a long time so it's a bit difficult you know to sort of we, we got so many target markets to sort of sell to and to tap into so there was a lot of pressure on just getting our name out there getting the brand out there and showcasing you know that the brand is in south africa but i think we're doing a, a pretty good job and it's getting better and better you know as we go along um, this year's been a bit tough because we build a lot of traction with interacting with people and shows and you know, things like that. Um, and this year has been a bit dead, as we all know. So we've been relying a lot on social media and interacting with people online. But yeah, it's, it's been an amazing journey. It certainly does. Um, it, it, sounds, it sounds quite tough, I'll be honest, but also uh, highly rewarding. And it's, uh, it's quite exciting to work on a brand as illustrious as, as Shelby. Uh, now, Paige, I've been hogging the mic for far too long. So I think I'm going to pass you over to one of my colleagues and uh, like to introduce you to Dennis Dropper from uh, BD Motor News. I'm sure he's got a couple of questions to uh, shoot your way. Yeah, hello, Paige. Great to have you aboard. So can you explain to us uh, how one would transform a good garden variety Mustang into a tire-smoking Shelby Beast? Um, maybe just briefly describe some of the packages that are available and what kind of power outputs uh, people are looking at. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the way Shelby works is they kind of launch new models every year um, and they go from sort of entry-level packages, which is mainly aesthetics, to the full performance upgrade. So currently the models that we are selling are GTE, which is mainly aesthetic. Then you get a GTE Plus, which um, adds the performance on. So that's where you start working with the superchargers, you do the brake upgrades, you do the side shaft suspension, all those wonderful mechanicals that make it look and sound and you know go a lot better than what the standard vehicle would, um, especially if you're going to go and put on the track or you just want to put your foot down every now and again. So kit starts at around 400, 450,000 rand as aesthetic and they go up to as much as about 1.2, 1.3 million rand um, for the upgrade. So that's above the Mustang. So we don't sell the Mustang. You buy the Mustang from Ford, a Ford dealer. You bring the Mustang to us or through the Ford dealer, you book the car in through us. Um, and then we upgrade the standard Ford Mustang to a Shelby. The amazing thing about Shelby is you can spec so much on the car. We've never really done one Shelby that's the same. Um, there's so many optional extras you can choose from when it comes to upgrading your car. It's a very personal upgrade. So there's so many options to choose from. So no matter what kit you choose, there's always going to be a variation between you and the next Shelby. So you go from the GTE to the GTE Plus to a Super Snake. We've got a Super Snake wide body. We've got the Tilinguas. We've got one left. Um, there's only five in South Africa and 75 globally. 50 in the States, 25 outside of the States. And that's an 840 horsepower supercharged uh, Shelby Mustang, which is an incredible vehicle. And it is our most track capable vehicle. So you can adjust shocks and all those wonderful things um, and they've just launched the carol shelby signature edition which is also very limited we only allowed to do three in south africa um, and it's very limited throughout the world so what's really amazing about shelby is they're constantly launching new kits and upgrades and um, you know different stuff that's very limited and with that you get a csm badge which um, is then loaded onto the shelby american registry and that then tells you everything about the car and that's what maintains your value so at any point in time if you want to buy or sell a Shelby you can contact Shelby in America 
uh, give them the CSM badge and they can tell you a full history on the car and that's going to maintain the value in the vehicle. Um, and I think that's what's really cool about Shelby is there's so much history and heritage in the brand and it's known for you know, it's the Mustang upgrade go-to brand. So it's known for reliability, history, heritage, and it goes so, you know, way back. If you saw Ford versus Ferrari, it's a really cool indication of where it all started. Yeah, and talking about that Ford versus Ferrari movie, I mean, uh, Shelby SA auctioned a very special Ford GT40 Mark II replica car autographed by some actors. And I believe you actually went around the world getting some of those autographs. Yeah, absolutely. It was the most incredible experience. Um, so what we actually did is we got the dashboard signed by Aaron Shelby, who is Carol Shelby's grandson. So I had to go to Dallas for that in the States. And um, before that, I went to Vegas to collect some merchandise and see the guys in Shel at Shelby in Vegas. I then went to Dallas to see Aaron Shelby to get his signatures. And I then went to Paris to the official premiere of Ford vs. Ferrari, the first one in the world, uh, with Matt Damon, Christian Bale, and the directors of the movie. So it was absolutely incredible. So they all signed the dash of the, the GT40. And it was sold to an incredibly special customer of ours. It's actually his I think third or fourth Shelby purchase um, he lives in Bloom and he is building his own Shelby museum I've seen a few sneak peek shots um, and it looks insane so as soon as that's ready I'll let you guys know and we can go spend a weekend in Bloom visiting the proceeds of that is going to go to a bursary which will be announced soon. Obviously, COVID's put a lot of spanner in the works of everyone's plans, but hopefully Varsity will be back to normal by 2021. And the money raised from that auction is going to go to a young kid who aspires to work in the automotive industry, especially in mechanics. Um, and we're going to help them through an education and then bring them into our businesses to do an internship and teach them, you know, from there and hopefully start a really good life for them. Oh, that sounds great. That's all for my side for now. Thank you so much. Thanks, Dennis. Um, Paige, we're going to pass you on to Brenwin Naidu, who's uh, champing at the bit to get his questions in. So, uh, yeah, Brenwin. Hey, Paige, I think uh, you've probably got one of the coolest jobs out there. Um, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. I've got just two questions, please, Paige. The first is, uh, what's the uptake been like uh, since you launched the brand in South Africa? Um, and secondly, uh, who buys Shelby's? Uh, what's what's the, the buyer profile, the demographic that shops uh, at your fantastic outlets? Yeah, so, I mean, the uptake's been really good. We we don't just do full upgrades. We can do components. We can do exhaust and suspensions and just, you know, certain aspects of a Shelby. Um, so we've done quite a few, you know, components. The uptake's been good, but it's a very niche market. I think we've done around between 50 and 60 Shelbys in total in South Africa, but full upgrades. So we, we can't complain because it's, you know, we didn't expect to do hundreds and hundreds of vehicles and we, we have an amazing client base and we sell a lifestyle more than we just sell a car. We're constantly doing track days and breakfast runs and weekends away and events with our, our clients. So, yeah, it's, it hasn't been terrible. I think this year's obviously knocked all numbers out of the door because nothing has really happened um, and obviously shops have been closed. But at the same time, it hasn't been dead for us. We have done some sales um, and our heritage cars are picking up quite nicely now as well because we've now got the rights to sell 
um, Shelby Daytona's Cobras and GT40s in South Africa, as well as the Superformance brands. Um, so it's building a lot of traction. And the most amazing thing with the Shelby brand is that it's the biggest head turner. I mean, you can be on a, a breakfast run with Ferraris and Porsches and Lamborghinis and people just automatically are like a magnet to a Shelby I think because you know you don't see muscle cars as much as you do supercars in South Africa it's still quite new so it's, it's really an eye turner and eye opener for a lot of people so yeah we, we're really happy with the uptake we can't complain I mean everyone can always say that you know they always want more business um, but we've got a very small team and we're always planning on only doing you know maximum two to three Shelby's a month for upgrades because it's a long process it's a lot of time to take parts off you know to fit the new parts you change a lot in the vehicle um so yeah it's, it's been really cool it's been really interesting the demographic is very interesting as i said earlier we've got so many different sort of target markets um generally i would say our clientele is like a middle-aged gentleman um i would say between like 40 and 60 but there are some youngsters now joining the pack so it, it depends I think on what you understand about the brand. And I think Ford versus Ferrari for me was a huge win because, you know, your your demographic from sort of 40 to 60 or 40 to 80, they know what Shelby is, where it comes from. They know about Carol Shelby. They know the history of the brand. And I always felt like the younger generation didn't really understand where Shelby came from and the history and heritage behind it because we kind of missed that. Um, and I think Ford vs Ferrari has really opened people's eyes as to where the brand comes from and what it's capable of and, you know, the, the heritage behind it and what Carol Shelby did open a lot of doors for us. So it, it depends. You get so many different, you know, types of people that are interested in Shelby's. You've got so many different customers in so many different industries. We've got some husbands and wives that share cars and the wives drive them more than the husbands. So it's interesting. It's a really cool, you know, different dynamic of people. Um, and amazing customers they, they're honestly they're like family they've all got our personal numbers and you know they phone and chat to us all the time and we've really got an amazing relationship with our customers so it's a really really cool environment fantastic thank you so much Paige and uh, all the best for the road ahead thank you so much we're turning to Paige Lindenberg from Shelby South Africa we're gonna have a quick break and when we return we're gonna be chatting to Paige about her racing career <laughs> Would I buy a Hava? <laughs> but you see, like, you can't beat the diesel. Though. I'll take the petrol over the diesel any day. <laughs> Tune in to Cargumentative every Monday morning on Times Live Motoring. You can join myself, Thomas Faulkner, and my regular gang of automotive misfits as we discuss motoring news, views, and of course, have a cargument or two. That's Cargumentative, only on Times Live Motoring. Welcome back to Cargumentative. We're still chatting to Paige Lindenberg from Shelby, South Africa. Now, Paige, um, you know, you're involved with cars, you're involved with Shelby, which is all well and good, but you also quite active on the racing side of things. You're a familiar face in the South African historic racing scene. We've seen you in action at, at the Neisner Hill Climb. 
when did you start? You know, how old were you and how did you get into the whole racing fraternity? Yeah, so um, I I was kind of born, I, I was born into it, not kind of, I was born into it. Uh, my dad was a world champion, water skier, barefoot skier, and then went into power boating. So we were born into a very unusual way of life and family, uh, not the norm. And at the age of five, my dad bought my older sister. She was seven at the time. And when I turned five, he bought us each a junior power boat to have fun with at our house at the Vol River because um, he used to train some of the young kids there. Um, so we got into the boats and we tasted them out. And my sister Kiara did not love it. And I got out the boats and I said, okay, dad, I'm ready to race. And he was like, no, 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 not that fast. He's five years old. Um, and you only get a license at eight. Anyway, I begged him to just like let me train with the boys and I didn't really give up on the the whole racing idea. And eventually at the age of seven, he arranged for the guys from PSA Powerboating South Africa to come and watch me and see whether I was good enough to get a license early. Um, But they didn't know I was his daughter. So we did that test and I passed and I was the youngest person to ever get a powerboating license. And I started racing powerboats at the age of seven. Um, I won South African champs at age nine. I won world champs at age 11. And then it all came crashing to a halt when my dad had a really bad powerboating accident in 2002 and it almost cost him his life. He had drowned. He was under the water for two minutes and 58 seconds. Um, So he chose to retire after that and he kind of made me do the same. He just felt like powerboating was too dangerous because when you have an accident, you drown and it had happened to him before. So he stopped me from racing powerboats with him and he moved me into a thing called Ninja Midgets, which was sort of like a go-kart and an oval circuit because he was a part owner in uh, West Bank Raceway and he was running it. So I started to race there. And then he forced me to stop racing to go and be a girl, which I resented him for until he allowed me to go race again. I like missed all the, you know, parties and the friends things on weekends and dancing and, you know, whatever girly things my, my mates were doing. And he just felt like I needed to experience that. So I, I tried it for a few months and I, I wasn't in love with that life. Um, and eventually I think I gave him enough gray hairs to convince him that I was ready to get back into a car. So I started racing uh, polo in regional. Uh, I did that for about 18 months. And then he built me a Cortina to race in his historic team because he felt like I would learn more out of historic cars because they don't drive for you. You've got to you know, understand them. I mean, Tommy, you race, you know. You know what it's like to drive those cars without power steering and you've got to know a lot about the mechanics of the car there's no laptop to tell you and you know you've got to know how to set it up and all those wonderful things so yeah that's where it all kind of started with circuit racing so i joined his team in the cortina i then moved to an escort because the cortina was too slow <laughs> and i was getting very frustrated i had won the championship a few times i just you know reached my limit with it so he put me in an escort with a 1600 engine because it was a smaller lighter car so the engine you know in there would be better and they were then going to make the cortina a v6 piranha for me um, which ended up taking a bit longer than expected and I'd reached my limit with the escort and 
I was very frustrated because I said my foot was going to go through the floor. <laughs> um, so uh, he had then built himself uh, the 65 Mustang that he's racing now. So his beautiful 1968 Ford Fairlane was hanging around with no driver. So he said, okay, you can have it for one season while we finish your Cortina and then you're getting into the Cortina. So I was like, cool, no problem. It's three years later and he's not getting the failing back. I absolutely love it. Um, it's an absolute beast, but you learn so much driving that car and it's, it's really a lot of fun. It's huge. It's a tank. It's not easy, but I really, really enjoy it. Um, and then as you said, Hill Climb, uh, I race the Shelby Super Snake at Hill Climb and Emerald Speed Festival and a few other alternative motorsport type of events. So yeah, it's been an amazing career. It's been really cool. I won Man of the Year in 2017, <laughs> which is a bit ironic, but very cool in the historic to I've won quite a few races. I race endurance racing with my dad as well in the Daytona Coupe. We share a car father-daughter team, which is pretty cool. So yeah, I can't complain. It's been an incredible journey and to race with my dad and learn from him, I think is out of this world. It's an incredible experience. And last year we raced in Amsterdam and at Zandvoort and in at Brands Hatch in England. So yeah, a really incredible journey it's been. Yeah, I mean, that overseas event looked like a lot of fun. What was that like? I mean, you know, those are, those are famous, revered circuits. Um, what was the atmosphere like? And you guys were there. Yeah, it, it was absolutely incredible. I mean, it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity that you can't really ever explain to anyone. We know a lot of the guys, you know them as well, obviously from Passion for Speed in South Africa. Um, and last year, they decided to make a four-race event instead of a two-race event just in South Africa. And a few people were invited to go and race overseas for the second leg of the event. Um and the the caliber of events there and the amount of people and you know the racing and the cars and it's it's out of this world. It's honestly an experience like you can never explain. Um and the people you race with are really just the most incredible people, the most hospitable, kind, you know, just want to teach you. It's very intimidating because you don't get practice like you do in South Africa. Um Zanfort is a very fast racetrack with lots of high speed corners. You don't really need to break as much as you do, but if you don't know it, you know, it's it's kind of like you see a corner coming and you think you need a break and you realize that you don't need to. Um, so I think it's time in the seats, you know, to get used to new tracks like that. But it was the most insane experience. Brands Hatch was a lot shorter circuit um, and a bit tricky. Uh, and our cars are quite heavy and low. So our exhaust is one part of the track where you have this massive like downhill, uphill dip. So yeah, it got interesting. And there are so many cars on the racetrack. You don't know what to do with yourself um, compared to South Africa. So yeah, it's, it's really the most mind-blowing, incredible experience. It's definitely something you should try and do one day. Um, yeah, well, look. I'm very, very envious of that. Um, I was looking at going, but yeah, I just, just couldn't make it happen. But, um, you know, if it does happen again sometime in the future, maybe I'll have to break open my piggy bank and uh, see if I can get over there in the Mustang. Yeah. Well, I'm going to hand you back to Dennis. I'm sure he's got a couple of uh, questions about your, your career. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, Paige, I actually wanted to ask you, you, you grew up in this, uh, as you say, this very... Uh, kind of uh, male-dominated environment with all the boy stuff. Do you have any sort of, uh, let's say, traditional girl hobbies as well? <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I did do dancing at some point. And look, I, I still have my nails done. I still wear makeup. I still do my hair. I still wear dresses and skirts. I can still get dressed up and have a you know good girl time with heels on. 
at, at heart, I think I'll always be a tomboy, but I still love the girly things. I still got my girl besties. Like I still love, you know, the girl chats. Um, yeah, I, I don't necessarily, you know, do girly things all the time. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm not, I'm not a gay I'm not a complete tomboy to the sense that I want nothing to do with the girls world. Um, and if you look at my friends, I think you would, you would get a bit of a fright because I have a lot of um, beautiful, you know, proper girly friends. But yeah, I don't know. I, I think I've got a, I think I've got a pretty good balance. Um, you know, maybe a little bit too tomboy sometimes, a little bit too independent and set in my ways or harsh. I don't know. I've grown up, you know, having to stand my ground in a very interesting world. So I don't know, some people may, might have different opinions on, on the way I do things or, you know, might have a different view on me. But no, I, I have pink nails on right now. Um, my hair is done and I'm wearing makeup. So I still have some girly aspects. <laughs> and when you're on the racetrack, I mean, do the uh, do the male racing drivers treat you just uh, like one of the boys or do they sort of treat you with kid, kid gloves? Mm, I've had some interesting experiences. Um, I've been knocked off the track on a straight on purpose or bump. You definitely get male egos that do not enjoy a young girl beating them or, you know, doing well. So I've definitely experienced those unnecessary situations. But majority of the time, the guys are amazing. And I've got a really good relationship with, I would say, 95% of them. You're never going to, I mean, even when it comes to work, you know, at a show, if a guy comes to talk to us about a Shelby upgrade and we know what we're talking about mechanically, you know, some of them just can't accept it. Um, so we face those kinds of challenges, my sisters and I, all the time. And I guess you just got to have confidence in yourself and stand your ground as nice as possible. But yeah, I've, I've had some interesting times, but I mean, like, I, I, I would say 95, 99% of the time, I've got a really good relationship with the guys. Yeah, it's not, it's not a terrible life. <laughs> no, great stuff. Thank you. Brenwin, I'm going to bring you into the conversation. So, you know, feel free to ask away. Thanks, Thomas. Uh, Paige, I've got three questions for you. Uh, the first is your best day on track. The second is your worst day on track. And Lastly, what's uh, what's next for you in terms of motorsport ambition? Sure. Um, my best day on track, I would probably say my best day on track was nice and hill climb. I think it was 2016. My dad and I podiumed um, on the same event. So he won the class and I came third. So we stood on the podium next to each other for the first time ever which is something I'll never, ever forget. But we've also won a few endurance races together. So I think, you know, there's some good memories there with my dad. My worst day on the track, probably one of the days when I was taken out unnecessarily by one of the male egos. <laughs> um, but I guess, you know, you also you make mistakes. You're not perfect. And I've definitely made my own mistakes when it comes to racing. And I've, you know, I've had a few accidents. I've never had anything drastic and huge and, you know, life-threatening. But... I think you always beat yourself up about those moments. You never really forget them because you're at the wheel and you know that, you know, at the end of the day, you can't always blame the car for things. You've got to take responsibility for the driving of it as well. Um, so there's definitely been a few moments, you know, where you look back and you're like, oh man, I, I messed up or, you know, I, I didn't give it my all or um, I made a mistake. So I guess, yeah, you, you definitely beat yourself up about it. And it's something we speak about quite often. It's, it's not like rugby and soccer where you're a team and you can kind of, you know, face the, 
defeat as a team. It's all about you and it's on you. It's a very um, individual sport and I think you can be very harsh on yourself. So yeah, you, you've got to realize you're human and you make mistakes and I've definitely made a few mistakes. So yeah, I don't know. There's probably a few moments I'll have to have to iron those out. Way to next. So I'm 28. I'm a girl and I would love to have a family one day. Um, so that obviously throws a huge spanner in the works for me in terms of a career. You know, guys can keep going forever. Girls, unfortunately, if they want a family, have to figure that one out at some point. Um, I'm definitely not settling down anytime soon. Uh, very much single, but I'm definitely too old to sort of take my career too far you know, in terms of going overseas and taking it too big. Um, I had the opportunity to take racing very seriously with the factory team when I finished school, but it was between racing and studying. And I've never believed in relying on sport as my career. Um, so I chose to go to varsity and study and make a career and keep racing on the side. Um, so I don't regret that decision at all. I don't think I'll ever stop racing, even if I do have kids. It's in my blood. It literally feeds my soul. I love I love the adrenaline, I love the sound, I love the petrol, I love the smell. So yeah, I think for now, we're actually having discussions literally today about you know our plans for 2021 in terms of the historic racing team. Um, I'm pretty sure I'm going to go for the the championship with the Fairlane for next year. Um, definitely take part in the, the passion for speed events in South Africa. If things open internationally, we might look at that again. I don't know. Um, definitely, you know, Emerald Speed Festival, Nice the Hill Climb, Alternative Motorsport events with Shelby. And yeah, we'll see what happens. I'm game for everything and anything all the time. I love experiencing things in life. Um, I actually learned to ride a motorbike two weeks ago with Motel and Honda, which was insane. Not going to race them. But um, yeah, I just, I, I don't know. I'll see what, what swings my way when COVID settles. And you never know if anything exciting pops up, you guys will be the first to know. Fantastic. Thanks, Paige, and uh, really wish you well in all those future endeavors. Thank you. Paige, unfortunately, we've run out of time, but uh, I'd just like to say thanks again for joining us uh, on the show today. I know that you're busy um, selling Shelby's and equipping Shelby's <laughs> and uh, racing and riding motorbikes, which um, are a lot of fun. I also learned to ride one about two years ago. Addictive. Uh, yeah. But yeah. <laughs> No, thank you so much, guys. It's been awesome. I really appreciate the opportunity. And hopefully we'll all see each other again soon at some kind of a motorsport event. Exactly. I hope so, too. That was uh, Paige Lindenberg from Shelby, South Africa. Um, and that, unfortunately, brings us to the end of the episode. But be sure to join us again next week for another episode of Cargumentative. Until then, keep it safe. And most of all, keep it real.